the overturning of Roe was um, something that from a like jurisprudential perspective had to happen. It was an absurdly bad decision. Even Ginsburg at one point said Roe was built on a house of cards. She recognized that it was really poor uh, from from just a, a legal perspective. On this special edition of Dear Jane, we celebrate and look back at the historic Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. It's been one year. What have we learned? What has the pro-life movement done well? Where do we go from here? Joining us in our discussion today are Nellie Roach with Choose Life Marketing. She works with pro-life groups across the country. Also joining us is Royce Hood. Royce hosts his own radio show, Truth, Culture, Life, and is a licensed attorney and organizer of the Law of Life Summit. Thanks to both of you for joining me today. Let's start by remembering the day the Dobbs decision came down. Where were you? What do you remember? Nellie, we'll start with you. I was in Memphis, Tennessee of all places, and in a hotel room, uh, actually by myself. And uh, I was there actually on a, a girl's trip with my cousin. And I have no idea why I was in Memphis, but it is part of the story. I ended, uh, well, I was, I, I got a phone call from Michael and he said, have you heard? And I just started weeping. I said, is it, is it the day? And he was like, it's the day. And because I was on sabbatical, I said, oh, oh, man, it's on. I'm coming back. And he said, well, hold on a second. We have to talk to senior leadership and just make sure that this is the time for you to come back. So we ended up, um, long story short, about 45 minutes later, I get a phone call and they said, no, leadership says you're fine. And I was hot. I was like, what do you mean? I'm fine. We don't, we don't need you in the agency. We're good. Finish up your sabbatical. You guys, I started crying. And I said, uh, I got to my knees and I said, Lord, this is my life. This is the time. Why am I away from my husband? Why am I away from my team? And I kid you not, it was in my heart. And he said, I'm your life. And this is my gift to you. And so you have to look at me that I am the reason you're doing this. This is God's mission, right? And we, we take it upon ourselves as though he's not part of it. And he is the very nucleus and the very, the very reason why we're doing this. And for me anyway, and it was, it was wonderful. Royce, what do you remember about that day? You know, um, coincidentally, I was planning a, uh, the day that the Dobbs decision leaked, I was planning an event in Schomburg uh, for early June or late June um, so we had just put the event on the calendar. We had started coming up with marketing materials and then all of a sudden the Dobbs leak happened. And it was just such a stunning um, and awesome opportunity to sort of, I don't want to say capitalize on that momentum, but it really, um, it positioned the Schomburg uh, Law of Life Summit, which was the event that I was working on, uh, to be sort of like the first big national gathering of pro-life leaders 
Now, we, we were hoping that the decision would uh, be finalized before that event, which was in late June. And if I remember correctly, the decision, the final decision came out like a week or two before the actual event. So it was leaked. You know, there's a couple of months of uh, several months of speculation about, you know, who's the leaker? What's the purpose? Will they, you know, will the justices uh, backtrack and be intimidated? And that was the purpose of the leak, by the way, was to intimidate the justices. But I think ultimately what ended up happening was whoever leaked it, the plan backfired. They effectively took the surprise. They took the wind out of the sails. And so when the when the final decision came down, although there was some protests and different things, I, I think, you know, conceivably it could have possibly been worse. But yeah, I, I was definitely very shocked. I was uh, in a good way. Um, the overturning of Roe was um, something that from a like jurisprudential perspective had to happen. It was an absurdly bad decision. Even Ginsburg at one point said Roe was built on a house of cards. She recognized that it was really poor uh, from from just a, a legal perspective. But that didn't stop many, many lawyers you know, uh, and, and the general public from buying into to the decision. So, yeah, big day. It was it was definitely historical. Um, but our work isn't done, as, as you all well know. So which day was more emotional for you, the day of the leak or June 24th itself? Do you remember? Yeah, probably the day I heard the leak, because I think at that point um, I was very I'm optimistic, generally speaking, anyway. So I, I just sort of prayed for the justices that they would have the fortitude and the safety and the security to withstand whatever sort of nefarious pressure was going to be placed on them. Um, so that that day was uh, was, you know, it was definitely, I think, the biggest day. The day the decision came down officially, um, and the the final decision was a bit different than um, some of the leak information that we had seen. But it was it was awesome, um, and it was again. It was just, if I remember correctly, again, it was a short time before our June Law of Life Summit in Schaumburg. So it was just so awesome to be able to have that, and then have an event already planned with multiple leaders from around the country coming in to talk. So we were able to address the decision um, basically in real time uh, in a very, very uh, useful forum. Nelly, I don't know about you, but I remember when I first heard the leak, it was exciting and it was good news for sure. But I'm more of a I'll believe it when I see it type of guy. Um, and, and, you know, again, as Royce referenced, maybe it could be derailed or maybe it's not true, whatever. Uh, it wasn't until it was officially announced that it became real and and emotional for me. What about you? It was the June twenty fourth. It was very emotional for me uh, because it's what we had been praying for. Um, it's I realized that lives were going to be automatically saved, um, and so. Um, m- I've, I always felt like we were going to win. And just like Royce, I am just, and, and you know this, Scott, about me. I'm just, I'm optimist. I'm, I'm really optimistic in, in most things that I do. And I just knew. I just knew in my heart. And when it became a reality, uh, the first, it was so powerful. And I realized that our God was still in this. And our God was walking with us, and that made it 
super emotional for me. So an exciting day, clearly a an historic day. Um, but now let's um, let's sort of compare and contrast what we thought we knew then compared to what we now know a year later. And, and if, if there's any change at all before we do that, though, Royce, help us understand from a legal point of view, what exactly did Dobbs do and not do? I think there has been some confusion about. Um, you know, what exactly the decision was. Give us a little sort of a layman's explanation of what Dobbs actually did do. Well, um, okay, that's a that's an interesting question because there's a few different ways that you can look at it. From the layman's perspective, Dobbs did not um, make abortion illegal at all. Um, it very simply returned the decision-making authority of whether abortion should be regulated or not to the people. Um, and that's that's as about as simple as it can get. What Roe did was Roe usurped the will of the people and um, created a fictional constitutional right which never existed before, had never been contemplated in any precedent before. And uh, they did so from the bench in D.C., um, and, and so again, that's the simple perspective from a legal analysis. It's, it's really pretty interesting. Um, it, it, for me, basically one of the things I learned was that common sense was not a foregone conclusion. I was a bit concerned about, you know, the, the, the nature of our courts for a while, because if you have, if you have justices that are unwilling to look at bad precedent, um, you know, that's that's a real problem. So obviously, Roe had been litigated numerous times throughout the year. And, and the one of the big uh, decisions that was cited uh, that was has been cited for as long as I've been practicing law was the Casey decision. And Justice Alito pointed out that um, Casey basically reaffirmed Roe without ever asking a question. And the basic question is whether the Constitution actually confers a right to abortion or not. Um, and it just doesn't. And so it's it's such a simple it's it's complex when you look at the whole decision, but it the the basis for why Roe was overturned is very very simple. Uh, the power to the people, um, state sovereignty is something that's really important. We have a federal government, we have fifty states, right? And those states have what's called police power, and they have legislative houses and and so forth. And the people elect, you know, lawmakers to go to their state capitals and enact laws for their so sovereign states within our country. Um, so Dobbs returned that power to the people. And specifically what you just said there, it really made it a state issue. The states were able now are able to determine their own policy. That's right. Um, which I which I want to get into a little bit. Uh, just as an aside, Nelly, people listening, you know how people listening will know which one of us is a lawyer? The one who uses usurped in conversation, I don't think. Uh, Did I use that word? I don't remember. No, very impressive. I'm, that's one of those words you hear. It's like, I'm going to have to start using that more in conversation. That's that's pretty cool. Um, so, so Nellie, let's, let's talk about what has happened in the year uh, after. And, you know, I want to sort of couch this on a previous episode of Dear Jane. I asked the question, was there a downside to Dobbs? 
And what I meant by that was, here's some of the things that we've seen, and here's what I want us to talk about a little bit. We've seen the other side motivated, like maybe never before, but certainly the the pro-abortion side is is extremely motivated now, to what extent we could argue. Uh, But then the other thing that we've seen is some states now really, like I'm thinking of Minnesota, I'm thinking of Colorado, lift all restrictions to the point of insanity on, I mean, they have gone so far the other way. So within that context, as you think of the past year since Dobbs, um, what has surprised you? What what uh, what what do you think uh, is is different than you may have thought? Just sort of, sort of what is your analysis of the past year? Well, I think that um, what really surprised me was the lawmakers and the pregnancy centers not really connecting. And what I saw was that it was the um, just their lanes were so separated when they should have been so connected. Um, I was very surprised that lawmakers didn't know how to talk about the pro-life movement, did not know how to talk about pregnancy centers. And I was also very, very um, surprised that there was so much hesitation from the pregnancy centers uh, to the right to life organizations um, and to the lawmakers. And so there was just a lot of unsettled feelings um, that uh, that I didn't think were a thing. And it, they definitely um, have been. As I followed the Colorado and the Minnesota uh, hearings when, when we're having these discussions, I realized that there was such a gap and that is why we had stood up the public affairs um, initiative for us to be able to fill that gap and allow people to, or allow the movement to really come together. Um, Even though they are part of this movement and they have the different parts that they should be communicating with each other and having really strong, strong allies and relationships with one another, it completely changed the landscape, um, you know, in marketing. What I will tell you, though, is that we must not forget that it is her. Yes, she there's there's a baby that is in jeopardy. But she, the abortion minded woman who um who is scared, who feels as though she now is completely confused, uh, and she matters. She matters in all of this. And her feelings of terror and uncertainty um, for her future did not change. She's the same girl as she was in 1973. And so that didn't change. So, well, you know, we we sort of like in our different lanes of the movement, I just encourage our listeners to remember her because it's about her first, because she has the biggest influence in saving her baby and choosing life for her baby. Royce, what about you? What would the Royce of of 
2022 be surprised or, um, if anything, um, a year later, uh, as you look in the aftermath now of the Dobbs decision, what has gone kind of the way you thought it would? What has uh, surprised you a little bit? Yeah. Um, again, great question. I, I've, I've thought about this a little bit because I, I think in, in some senses, as an attorney, nothing really surprises me anymore. Um, but practically speaking, and this is sort of more of a, a, a negative slant on things, but I, I think about Kansas where, you know, that we saw the um, the the ballot, the ballot measure rejected in Kentucky and so forth. Um, I've I've heard numerous times um, that in Kansas, in a, for example, um, and I've seen reports that something like 95 percent of the advertisement revenue in that state came from out of state. So the the opposition adds to the ballot measure with just really insidious and untrue marketing things like if you vote yes, women will die. And all, all Kansas was saying is that nothing in the Constitution creates a right to abortion. It wouldn't have actually restricted abortion. It just was going to make it very, very clear preemptively that abortion was not a constitutional right under their state constitution. So We've got, you know, I think about like Thomas Jefferson, who oftentimes talked about, you know, the importance of an informed electorate. Um, What surprises me, and I think many people are beginning to understand this, is the fact that a majority of our information is controlled by a few. And I think people are starting to realize that, you know, it's it's sort of hypothetically, we we live in sort of this matrix where the illusion of freedom, um, take voting, for example, is controlled by narratives. Um, an opposition and it's 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 bit, frankly insidious. So how does this relate to abortion? Well, are we still having debates about whether or not a baby is a baby? I've been engaged in those debates online and social media, and it's shocking to me that we're still having that conversation because that conversation, that argument has been won. It was won years and years ago as our technology continues to advance and so forth. Um, so I, I think, look, how do we combat all this? I think it's our job to do everything we can. Uh, as Nelly was talking about, you know, first of all, we have to make sure at the community level that we're supporting and and making sure people are aware of local resources. It's it's shocking to me how many people don't know, like in their own community, there's a maternity home or there's a pregnancy center um, that is helping women. Um, the other thing is we have to combat the false narratives. And I, I like to say, you know, the, the, the devil hates truth. Um, the opposition in the in the uh, pro-life movement hates the truth because when people are given the truth, they come to the right decision. So what they do is they they propagate false information. Um, you've got you know elected lawmakers basically saying that pregnancy resource centers are evil, right? And those are statements that a sitting senator has said, and they should be investigated because they don't refer women to abortion. So we have to push back against that. We have to make sure that we're doing what we can in our communities and, and more broadly nationally, but locally, we can each do something to make sure people know basic truths about what's available resource-wise um, and then push back against these false narratives when we are able to. Royce, I want to, before we sort of talk about where we go from here and how do we build on the momentum of Dobbs, I want to pose the question to you that I posed earlier um, to a previous guest. And, and you kind of touched on this before our break. Um, I think one of, I don't want to say one of the positives of Roe, but, you know, Roe talked about the viability, you know, up until viability, right? And now in the era of Dobbs, we're seeing that term just thrown out. No longer a consideration, abortion up to birth, uh, that sort of thing. 
when you think about that, when you think about how motivated the other side has become, is there a downside to Dobbs? Uh, no, I don't think so. Even if we, you know, even if Dobbs cost uh, conservatives the the following election to some extent, there's no downside to Dobbs because again, um, it's it's our responsibility. And how do we fight back against the Goliaths, the Goliaths of false information? It's our responsibility to do so every way that we can. Um, I think that it's there's just so the answer is just no, there's no downside. We have our work cut out for us because, um, look, the culture of death has many faces. It's existed for as long as uh, as uh, the Garden of Eden. Right. I mean, the uh, it rears its ugly head in different forms or fashion over and over and over again. And so it's like a whack-a-mole. As soon as you whack one of them, another one pops up. Um, and we see this in different ways, shapes, or forms. Um, and so without getting too theological here, it's interesting. You know, what is all the sort of nasty, evil things that are perpetrated by the culture of death uh, all have one thing in common, and that is they attacked, they attacked the family. They attack our humanity. They attack our God-given, you know, um, right to be fruitful, right? And our sort of that commandment that we were given uh, to go and be fruitful. That That is what they attack. They hate life. They hate truth. Um, and look, there are a lot of good people that are, um, I think, are misinformed and are uh, in on the wrong side of the issue and so I want to I want to emphasize that it's not they're not everybody that is pro-choice is evil. They're or, or you know they're just they're just misunderstanding things. They're not there yet. And so sometimes I think um, the Dob the challenge with Dobbs is now we really have a responsibility to first of all embrace with open arms those that are seeking help and counseling and healing, um, those that are seeking guidance. And there are going to be battles that we win and there are going to be battles that we lose. But ultimately, we win the war because we are a culture of life. We are a culture that respects the dignity of the human person. And that includes the abortionists. It's interesting. A lot of the most prominent leaders in the pro-life movement were at one time radically pro-choice. And the pendulum has swung far with them and they had this conversion and now they're radically pro-life, <laughs> right? And uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And so again, I, I preface that the grass is greener on our side because we love, we have faith, hope, and love. What about um, as we move forward, Nelly, you know, we, we hear a lot about you know, we hear, we see all these poll numbers and we think, okay, where really are we as a nation when it comes to this issue? I think we all agree that we've got our work cut out for us when it comes, we've got to change hearts. How do we do that? Well, I think, you know, changing hearts, um, we have to be able to communicate effectively to those who don't agree with us. Just because we don't agree with somebody doesn't necessarily mean, and it shouldn't mean that we're judging them. And so we should be able to create uh, a common ground to be able to have respectful conversations. And, and I think that we oftentimes um, stay within our bubble, stay within our groups, rather than reaching over 
uh, or just mobilizing those who are pro-life but may you have different denominations, may have different socioeconomic, uh, just we have to be able to learn how to do that in order for us to stay in the character of Christ who loved first. Um, and so I think that we hesitate sometimes, and I think it's time to not. Mm. You said something there that makes me, uh, reminds me of another question or thought that I want us to consider. You talked about staying in our bubble. Um, I don't know exactly what you meant by that, but that makes me want to wonder what have we learned about the pro-life movement in the last year in terms of, um, you know, we've had to shift now, right? It's gone from one battleground, you know, the federal government or the Supreme Court now to at least 50, right? Um, and we we know that there are some divisions within the pro-life movement. There just are. Um, and so what have we learned, if anything, um, or, or maybe done well, however you want to consider that question of in the past year since since Dobbs? And Royce, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the pro-life movement has proven that it's easily adaptable to the times and to the needs of our culture. So, it, you know, I work with a lot of national pro-life groups, as, as does Nelly. Um, and so I've seen that. I've seen that pivot. And even before Dobbs, a lot of groups were increasingly starting to go into states, like take the March for Life, for example. Um, that event, the March for Life, will remain in D.C., um, even despite Dobbs, because we have members of Congress and the Senate pushing for, like, basically a codification of Roe. And so we have to keep that presence in D.C. to, first of all, never forget the 65 million plus babies that died since Roe, but also to never let it happen again at the federal level. But then a few years ago, even before Dobbs, the march started pivoting into state elections uh, to state uh, marches. And so that's a big emphasis now going into states and and helping to have an impact on some of the ballot initiatives and and just making sure that people understand that this issue is an issue that they now have control of. You know, so much of the time, Americans, I, I think, weren't aware that this is something that they would even have a say in. It's just like, oh, this is what it is. Well, now we have that choice. We have that ability. Um, and so uh, adaptability is is a, a virtue, I suppose, in the pro-life movement. So adaptability, Nelly. But um, what do you think about that? It, but also have we, at least in some parts of the movement, fallen to the trap of thinking that the heavy lifting is over? I, I think that we we have fallen into the trap of thinking that people know what we think are basics, right? I think that we fall into the trap of not over communicating the basics of repeating ourselves uh, because we think, oh, you know. Or I think we fall into the trap of fighting and arguing with those who are not going to change their minds. And so I, I think that we as a um, as a movement, we are adaptable. Uh, we are adaptable, uh, but it has to make sense to us. And it can't make sense to us if we are not over communicating the basics of life 
to our own community. And, you know, proximity is everything, you guys. And, you know, proximity is like, it's like you, you have, you, you know somebody and you know their story. And so you understand them. And then so the matter of life becomes something that is tangible and we can't stop talking about it. And I think in this culture of, you know, the cancel culture and the culture of overdoing things um, on the in the opposition side, we're not we're not scratching the surface the way that we should be. And so I I just believe that we just fall into thinking that everyone that we can that we come in contact with understands just the default uh, truth about life. Royce, you referenced, you know, if if the Dobbs decision had any impact on the uh, election immediately following, and there's some debate to that end. Um, I think one thing that is clear and that maybe could be debatable, but I think it's pretty clear, is the other side's motivated. Um, how do we make sure the pro-life side remains motivated and even elevates that somewhat? Yeah, there's power in numbers. We've seen that with... Um you know, with just, you know, just through the summits that I'm involved with. Also, I, one of the things I've encouraged numerous political candidates on is to be boldly pro-life. Um, we saw that in Illinois, we had a couple of great candidates and they sort of faltered and they were afraid to be pro-life and, and because of Dobbs, they didn't want to attract that lightning rod of attention and they lost. The pro-life base, I think is technically probably a majority of the American people. Majority of the American people do not want for for sure they don't want late term abortion they don't want infanticide maybe they're not sure about 6 week or 12 week bans but typically speaking people you know they're just they're not there they're not where the radical left is on this issue and so when politicians come out strong i think they have a better shot of being first of all they're being authentic if that's really where they're at but i think you're going to galvanize the base we saw this it was interesting a number of years ago in illinois we had bruce ronner won this election it was like this huge upset the Repub first Repub republican governor in years and he did so with the support of the pro-life base after one turn term he actually signed a law that was not pro-life it was pro-abortion and it turned out he completely alienated base and he lost by a huge margin for re-election i honestly believe that was because he wasn't um he wasn't true and he wasn't being boldly pro-life and so I, I would say it's better to um, I think to to die on the merits than than to win being a coward. Um, be strong, be bold, have faith, speak the truth, and let the chips fall where they may. And uh, there's a, a great congressman out of Florida, uh, Byron. Is it Byron Daniels? I, I, I might be getting his name wrong, but the guy ran multiple times and lost, and he kept just kept running and never gave up. And now he's in Congress, and it's amazing how that fortitude and that um, that perseverance really paid off for him. And he's, he's a staunch ally for, you know, for the pro-life movement. So um, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's where we're at. I think I, one of the things that I'm very impressed with is just the, the fresh leadership that I see rising through the ranks of the pro-life movement. We've got a lot of young people in their twenties and, and late teens that are like doing amazing things locally. Some of them are starting, like there's like a pro-life coffee company now. 
really, it's a it's a for profit company that sells coffee and it, and they give a percentage back to pregnancy centers, right? Things like that are so innovative and interesting, and it's also really encouraging to see young people with their whole careers ahead of them taking those leaps of faith and and being boldly pro life. So, Nelly, your world is communication. And you have said we need to repeat ourselves. Royce and others have said we need to be bold. Don't be shy about the pro-life message. But I still do think there are disagreements within the movement on on how do what do we communicate exactly? You know, even is is it about her? Is it about the baby? Uh, how how graphic should we be? Um, so as we move forward, as we look at some of these state elections and initiatives that will be coming up, um, we talked about just how deceiving the other side can be how best do we communicate our pro-life message well it's interesting that's a really good question we we have been part of a couple of surveys and also a couple of studies and and polling and we found which is super interesting to me but very clearly outlined that and please take this the way that it's it sounds. I I love Jesus. I, I talk about Jesus. He I he's my life, right? But it isn't relevant to the middle who is trying to figure out where they stand. What is relevant is that we care about the mother. Right. It's it's relevant when we talk about the person to which they can see. Um, So when we when we as you know, as a movement. We are accused of saying, well, you are just pro-life because of your faith. And the reality of all of this is that there are organizations out there that are not Christians and that are very pro-life. And they live in that culture. And we as Christians live in our culture in our bubble. And so I think, you know, we we want to um we want to make sure that we understand that there's a bigger mission here, right? We want to understand that we have to come together in common grounds and we have to understand that proximity is everything. So getting to know one another, even if we're in different lanes, and I'm not just talking about denominations and economic, you know, socioeconomic or anything like that. I'm talking about our communities and being able to, to you know, I, I you know, we have an initiative right now of inside our agency for every team member to go and visit and tour a pregnancy center because proximity is everything. And so I just think that we need to know one another a lot more so that we can have personal conversations. I think we ourselves need to be leaders in the movement of reaching uh, outside of our own bubble and being able to influence um, those who are outside of our bubble to 
link arms and and walk together despite the differences that uh, we may see each other. I think a, another thing that we need to take into consideration is that not only does the middle who is trying to make that decision don't really want to hear religion because of of what it is, uh, we also need to look at how we you know, who we're talking to as well and sort of change, change for relevancy within who you're, you're talking to. So it's just like our household, you know, we, we have a very pro-life household and my youngest son is, is attending a university that is not. And so he walks around a little frustrated, but he has created or he has found a community that he can share those things with. And that community has taught him how to be able to talk to others who may and and be able to say, okay, that person is open to that conversation. Let's go ahead and have it. So I think it's, you know, in terms of communication, I think proximity is everything. I think knowing what to say, I think getting, uh, getting educated on who is in front of you uh, getting to know them before they get to know you. Right, so what do you think about that? Because, you know, we, and even we could hear it in Nellie's response. We, we dance around this a little bit because we don't want to offend anybody, but it, and I agree a hundred percent with what she was saying in terms of, of that. It, this is a religious issue for a lot of people on the pro-life side, but I think the other side has used that effectively it, this hit me the other day when I just saw a picture uh, of a story um, and all these protesters were holding up signs. You know, we've seen them. Keep keep your religion off my body, that sort of thing. As I consider people in the middle who may be undecided or may be on the fence and, and like what you talked about before of, well, I don't know the difference between 12 weeks and four months and you know, whatever. Um, but. They certainly don't want your I don't want your religious religion imposed on me. And that's where they get them. The other side gets them because they make that argument. It's about religion. How do we address that within the movie? I mean, we've got three people of faith here having this conversation. Um, how, how can we be honest about that and really make sure that religion has the proper role in the debate and discussion? Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've wrestled with this, you know, through the Law of Life Summit. That's a very, um, very much a ecumenical, um, practical group of people. There's certainly um, a a number of people there that are are religious to you know to one extent or the other. It's multi denominational and so forth. But the the messaging that comes out of the summit tends to be things like Nelly is talking about where we're, we're talking about, you know, practically speaking, how do we win these arguments? Um, you know, visiting maternity homes, visiting pregnancy centers, demonstrating they'll, they'll know what, you know, it is theological to say, it's very Christian to say, they'll know us by our love. Right. Um, if you want to win the argument, you show that you're actually the ones like Nelly said that care for the women and that care for families and that care for children, um, and that we're we're demonstrating that by not just the words that we say, but by the actions and the things that we're involved with. At the same time, it's interesting. I I I wonder. Um, you know, I I love the saying, "The truth will set you free." Uh, so many people in the movement have come because of prayer and like the forty days for life 
a campaign, for instance, was really had a huge impact on Abby Johnson. Her story is profound. I mean, she hated him at first and then she kind of got used to him and they're just sort of annoying and she got to know him. She'd wave. And when she broke down in tears after witnessing, after many years in the abortion industry, witnessing her first ultrasound guided abortion, they were the group that were welcoming her with open arms and she found comfort in their faith. Um, I think ultimately tradition, family, um, and faith are, are very important that I don't, and I'm, I'm willing to, if, if necessary, I mean, I would love to count myself. I don't, I don't want to lose my life or anything like that from my faith, but if I had to, I would, I've walked away from big career opportunities because, uh, the things that were presented to me and were requested of me conflicted with my faith and it's cost my family financially because of that. But we've always held true to that. What's better to to do what's right. So in terms of winning the argument, there are ways that we can do it. We have two things going for us. First of all, truth with a capital T is is universal. Uh, To me, it doesn't make a difference whether somebody has faith or not. There are certain things that are um, embodied in the natural law of, of humanity and um, and they, you can go back to like just things like Aristotle and so forth that are just common sense, right? I mean, the sky is up, the ground is down. A baby is a baby. I I, I forget who it was, but uh, um, I heard a speaker once that said, well, if okay, if it's not a baby, what is it, a seal? Is it a puppy? Right? I mean, there's certain things that are hard to argue with, but yet we still have to present those arguments. And I, so I think in that respect, we have to be patient because they're, like I said, I've been in debates with people like, it's not a baby. It's like, well, really? Oh gosh, we're, we're going there again. And you have to like, you know, how did I win this argument 10 years ago? Cause we're doing it again and again. Anyway, I, I just feel like, again, being, there are people like Nellie who are smarter than I am with respect to the messaging. So I, I would rely on, on some of that guidance, but at the same time, I think it's okay to be authentic. But again, the things going for us, just to summarize, we also have science going for us. And as science advances, you know, I, 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 I've seen this argument defeated. And I think that's why the, the, the radical fringe on the left is getting away from, well, it's, it's the baby argument. We don't know if it's viable or not because viability, that goal post keeps getting earlier and earlier and earlier. Um, and look, I've had the, uh, the distress and the sadness and the privilege of holding two deceased babies. One was 17 weeks old uh, that we uh, miscarried and the other one was full term at 39 weeks. Um, and they're perfect, precious little human beings in every way, shape or form. Um, and so that's not something I would wish on anybody, but it it, it really humanizes that uh, that baby bump in, in many ways. So as we wrap things up here, what is your hope for the pro-life movement? What is your hope for our country? Obviously, success, you're going to say, or, or, or whatever, but more specifically, I mean, as as you look at some of the things that we have before us that we need to accomplish. Um, what is your hope on on building on the momentum of the past year and, and as we look forward to the next year and the next five years? What is your hope for our movement and our country, Nellie? Unity. Um, I My prayer is that we would unite um, together 
and within our separate lanes still support one another. My prayer is in in the future that unity that that foundational foundational unity that is based on the sanctity of human life becomes the love for our Christ. And I think we need to take it one step at a time. I think that to have a great foundational aspect of this, this, this issue is we need to come together first. And then we need to introduce the goodness. We need the goodness of, of our Christ and who our God is. But I think that you know, we we should hold the torch of of the humanity and the science along with it to sort of capture hearts and change minds. And so my prayer is that we get there sooner rather than later. But I know that the next couple of years is going to be a gathering, a gathering of disciples. And so um I'm excited for it. I don't see a downside in in this in this movement in in this Dobbs the Dobbs decision. I am ecstatic that babies were saved. Um, I know that it's hard. I know it's hard for the pregnancy centers that are across our nation. Um, I know that it's hard for those who have to that work nationally and the patchwork of laws that are all over the place. I know it's hard, uh, but it's, but a baby's a baby, right? And also the, um, this mission that we get to, to, to do that is, has been gifted to us. We have a responsibility. And I think that, I think the movement as a whole accepts that responsibility. And so that's, that's my prayer for the next couple of years, Scott. Royce, what about you? Yeah. Wow. I love everything Nellie said. I mean, I would echo that. Um, there's so much we can do. Uh, there, there's a scene in the, um, the movie, I forget the name of the movie, the war, the, the one where like the guy crash lands on the planet and there's all the apes. Right. And it's like the newer, where's the called? planet of the apes. Okay. Planet of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So the newer one where the, the, the ape holds up a stick and he breaks it, but then he puts like 10 sticks together and demonstrates that, you know, together it's unbreakable. So I love that that visual because it, it makes so much sense. Um, and we've seen that. I think we, we've seen that with the March for life, how, uh, groups that were otherwise, um, sort of, you know, not really wanting to work together, end up marching together and being forming bonds and relationships. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I try to focus on with the summit because I'm, I'm a relationship person. I've only, there's only like two or three people in my entire life that I genuinely dislike. Other than that, like even people I disagree with, I tend to like them and get along with them well. And we have like disagreements. So we keep marching. Uh, really at the end of the day, we keep marching until abortion is unthinkable. But then when that happens, like I said earlier, the culture of death has many, many faces. Um, we have abortion pills, right? We're going to have a pandemic of broken hearts in the next few years as, uh, as mothers start to emerge from the shadow of that grief that they've experienced in the comfort of their own homes, right? They've, they went from, the abortion clinic, which is a dark place, to now turning the sanctuary of their home into a dark place. And as they come to grips with 
with that trauma that they've been through, they're going to need love, counseling, support, and help. And so we need to be ready to welcome them and to, to aid them. Um, and, and now look, Planned Parenthood is shifting now. And this isn't the topic for this, but they're getting into the, you know, mutilating children with the trans ideology, right? So again, culture of death has many faces. All these nefarious and warped ideals are centered again on one thing, and that is the destruction of the human person and the destruction of the human family. So uh, one of the big things that I, I feel like I'm, I'm praying a lot about and that I, I want to focus a lot on in the next couple of years is really promoting groups that are pushing fatherhood, for example, because so many of the issues that we see in the in the family uh, comes from that, uh, from boys not, you know, becoming men. And boys need to become men. They need to to put on the crown of fatherhood. It's a great privilege. It's awesome. I get choked up thinking about it. Um, and if you do that, I think that will instantly help our beautiful women that are out there that struggle with confidence and respect and so forth. You know, it's it. The man needs to help with that. And there's this. Everybody, as Nelly said, everybody has their own lane, but we need each other, and uh, and we need that family unit. So there's my ramble. No, well said. Um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more on the, on the fatherhood, but what a year it has been, um, an historic year, one that was prayed for and sought after for a long, long time. And, uh, it is worth celebrating and, uh, but we certainly have work cut out for us over the next couple of years. Nellie Roach, Royce Hood, thank you for very much for joining us here today on Dear Jane. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. My thanks again to Nellie Roach and Royce Hood for joining us on this special anniversary celebration of the Dobbs decision. Be sure to check us out in two weeks when season number four of Dear Jane kicks off. We'll be talking with Leah Jacobson from the Guiding Star Project. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Live Coalition. Our producer is Kate Ewell. Our editor is Jacob McCormick. I'm Scott Baker. Don't forget to favorite us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Dear Jane Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.